In this episode of the Boost Health Podcast, you will hear... We wanted something that would provide this platform, this foundation that would ensure people were meeting their kind of their protein needs, meeting their you know, daily vegetable intakes and eating foods that were like tasted delicious, but also uh, calorie controlled. After a while, I wondered if my gut health was self-sustained enough with real foods that I was eating could I get off of those probiotics? And I was scared. I was like, oh, I feel so good right now, but I really want to see if I'm able to sort of maintain this without the probiotic. One simple thing people can do to improve gut health is consume a large amount of vegetables every day and basically feed the good bacteria in your gut and uh, allow them to proliferate. Find your balance. Find your balance. That is the goal here at Boost Health. Welcome to episode number 27 of the show. I am Paul Sandberg, the founder of Boost Health and your host. I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist with the NSCA. I have a bachelor's degree in human biology, a master's degree in business administration, and I've been working in the wellness and fitness industry for over 19 years. On the Boost Health Podcast, we cover the entire spectrum of wellness concepts and give you some actionable tips that you can implement in your personal health strategy. Each show is only about 30 minutes, as my goal is to give you lots of great ideas and tactics in a short amount of time. My philosophy with this podcast and with Boost Health in general is to be open-minded. Try new things. Preconceived notions shouldn't get in the way of wellness strategies that could be a real difference maker for us. Have you ever tried a new wellness tactic and it surprised you and how well it worked? Those are what we are trying to uncover here. Thank you all for spreading the word about the show if you think someone might enjoy it. And please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast app. Q&A. If you want to ask a question... Just click on the green Ask Paul button on the podcast page on myboosthealth.com. And as always, I'll put this link in the show notes and blog. So here is the listener question for this episode. Paul, why do you recommend full body strength training versus split group strength training? And I know people must struggle with this one as my article on this topic is easily my most hit page every day on the myboosthealth.com website. I discuss in this article the pros and cons of each and share some research, uh, and I'll link to this article in the show notes and blog, of course. The general takeaway of the article is that full body strength training is more efficient, it's more appropriate, and according to some studies, it's even more effective. So unless you prefer to be in the gym four to five days per week versus two or three, and you have bodybuilding goals, it seems that full body training is really the best method. In the article, I also share a story of how I personally moved from a split program to a full body program. And I was really, really nervous. I was going to be losing all this muscle and strength, but actually the opposite occurred. I was checking my body composition very closely and looking at my workout charts and everything got better. So 
That is why I recommend it for most folks. Again, if you have a question for me, just click the green Ask Paul button on the podcast page on myboosthealth.com. Announcements. The most recent order of Boost Health Performance Apparel has shipped out and arrived to everyone. And thank you to those of you that have sent me pictures of you working out in your gear. It's really cool to see. Now, don't worry, though, if you didn't get your order in in this last time, we're actually going to reopen the store again on October 3rd. So maybe as you're listening to this, the store is either open or just about to open. Uh, we're actually going to include some really cool winter pieces. Uh, winter, believe it or not, is right around the corner. Uh, so we're going to have hoodies, long sleeve cycling jerseys, running tights, thermal cycling bibs, uh, and even a new special black kit called the Secret Boost. So you have to log in and check that out. And we're going to offer a discount. Um, so if you use the code BALANCE, B-A-L-A-N-C-E, like find your balance, if you use that code at checkout, um, after the shop opens on the third, then you can save 5% off your order. So wanted to offer something special to my listeners. Newsletter, if you haven't already signed up for the weekly Boost newsletter, you can do so very simply uh, by entering your name and email into the form on the homepage of myboosthealth.com. Don't miss any Boost Health news. All right, now on with the program. This is the first part of a three-part series with my friend Pete Fisher, the founder of Nutrition Kitchen. In this episode, we discuss why he started Nutrition Kitchen, how people benefit from meal delivery service, and how it is different than meal kits, differences in cooking cultures, vegetarian slash plant-based slash vegan options, gut health in our second brain, and probiotics. And I want to quickly just correct myself. You'll hear in the show, Pete and I are talking about differences between vegetarian, vegan, and plant-based. And so just to quickly correct myself based on sort of just loose definitions, vegetarians don't eat meat, obviously, but they will allow themselves dairy. Uh, plant-based tends to be more performance-based instead of philosophical. So they will eat only uh, plants. They won't eat any animal products. Um, but if there was uh, maybe a shoe or a purse made out of leather, they wouldn't necessarily avoid that or keep that out of their life, whereas a vegan, by definition, would. Uh, so that's kind of what I was trying to get out in the show. Sorry, I stumbled a little bit on that part. And without further ado, here is part one. There is a saying in the fitness industry that has been heard from many a personal trainer's and nutritionist's mouth, which is, it is 90% diet. Now, this is in reference to how important nutrition is in building a lean, healthy, energized body. Now, the 90% figure can vary depending on who is delivering it, but it's usually presented as a high percentage in an effort to make the client realize just how important diet is. Now, the 90% rule is not exactly hard science, but there's evidence of physical activity not being enough on its own to lose weight. A 2013 study in population health metrics found that increased physical activity by itself has little effect on obesity. This should not overshadow, of course, the many tremendous physiological effects of physical activity. For example, think of how wonderful you feel after a really good workout. I've said many times my family actually calls me grizzly bear <laughs> if I haven't exercised for the day yet. Daily exercise for me is much about mental therapy as it is about physical fitness. Hopefully this makes the point that both nutrition and exercise are important components to overall wellness. 
As a fitness professional, I'm always worried that my clients are working hard on their exercise program, but then they go off on their own and they're struggling with nutrition and they're having this slow their progress. Of course, I can mentor them on this, but I'm not there with them as they make all of their nutrition choices. Now, what if there was a tool to make life a little easier for folks to eat healthy? What if this tool delivered two to three healthy and tasty meals to your doorstep daily, ready to warm up and eat? I'm pleased to inform you that there in fact is such a tool and it is called Nutrition Kitchen. Now, I'm excited to have Pete Fisher, the founder of Nutrition Kitchen, with me on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me, Pete. Uh, great to be here. Thank you, for, thank you for having me. Before we dig into all the details of Nutrition Kitchen, I want to first tell you a bit about Pete. And when you hear his background, I think you'll understand why he started Nutrition Kitchen and also why he and I get along so well. Now, Pete Fisher is currently the director of Nutrition Kitchen and has recently established his personal training education company called The Physical Education. He has been in health and fitness industry for over a decade. He has worked with hundreds of clients ranging from elite athletes to stressed out executives and weekend warriors. He has amassed hundreds of hours of continuing education and has spent the last five years working at Ultimate Performance Hong Kong, where he oversaw in-house training as director of education before becoming general manager. He attended Exeter University as a rugby scholar and represented the Exeter Chiefs whilst pursuing his master's degree. He has a background in education working as a teacher in one of London's leading independent schools and moved to Hong Kong seven years ago to focus on the fitness industry as a career. He is married to Charlie and they have two young children, Henry, who's five, and Sylvie, who's two. So it's clear, I think, if you know my background and you know Pete's background now, why we get along so well and we obviously have a lot in common. He has similar passions for helping people find their wellness balance and live in their healthiest bodies possible, which I think is fantastic. So Pete, thank you again for joining me. When did Nutrition Kitchen launch and why was this something you wanted to do? We launched three years ago. Um, my wife, um, my brother-in-law and I were all working as personal trainers at the time. And we found that this, uh, this service wasn't really available for our clients. And again, our clients highly motivated they're very driven individuals, um, and they're all you know, they all struggled with applying the nutritional side, uh, despite the work they were doing in the gym with us. So we basically created a program, um, a nutrition program that we wanted to use ourselves and that we wanted our clients to use. And we just wanted to make this you know, healthy eating to be very accessible and sustainable for our clients. Yeah, I mean, it's probably similar to me, right? You see people in the gym that you're working with really, really hard and you get to be good friends with these people and you love these people. You want them to be successful. And sometimes, you know, they just need a little extra help. Right. So this, I think that's sort of where this idea is born out of. Yeah, it was, we wanted to give people this kind of, I mean, Hong Kong people aren't going to be a hundred percent on their diet all the time. Like everyone's working in industries where they're going to be socializing. They're going to be entertaining clients. And at weekends, sometimes they're going to want to go to a barbecue. They want to socialize with their family. So we wanted something that would provide this platform, this foundation that would ensure people were meeting their kind of their protein needs, meeting their you know, daily vegetable intakes and eating foods that were like tasted delicious, 
but also uh, calorie controlled. Yeah, that, that's an important part of it too. Like somebody might get started on something like this. It, the service itself is wonderful, but if the food is sort of ho-hum, <laughs> you're going to lose people pretty quick. So I think that's why you've had success so far is that it's, it's just tasty stuff. Now, when you first started this, did you have a, a particular client in mind for, for Nutrition Kitchen or is it really for everybody? When we started, I think we had an idea that this would serve uh, personal training clients primarily and it would be people who were more fitness oriented in their outlook. Um, one of the things that shifted probably in our, our perception of where the business was based was we found that our personal training clients were getting the food delivered to their offices and then we were getting a lot of orders from their colleagues who might not necessarily be as into fitness or actually training but wanted that convenience and you know they thought the food looked good they could see their um, colleagues enjoying the food and they they wanted the same service so i think we, we experienced initial growth through the fitness industry and through personal trainers recommending us to their clients and then we saw a kind of secondary almost exponential growth beyond that once once we had two or three clients in a particular office that would snowball up to you know a dozen clients within there that what a uh, a testament to how good the service is if you're having other personal trainers <laughs> recommend your service that's a mm. that's a really good sign yeah I, but with with personal trainers we we didn't want to like we didn't want to sign personal trainers up to any kind of affiliate plan or initially we we wanted trainers to really believe in the product mm -hmm. so we tried to get as many personal trainers using the product personally as possible so we gave them a a discounted rate um because it, it's one of the things you you can't really buy um advocacy of a product it, it's either going to come across you know, insincere um or the, you know they're not going to actually put their heart into promoting you so we, we wanted to get personal trainers experiencing our food personal trainers are pretty savvy about macronutrients and about mm -hmm. you know if you're claiming one thing the label on the label it has to be they'll know if the product doesn't match up to that. Um, so they were a great test group for us early on as well. Um, and from there, like personal trainers, they all want to get results with their clients. So if they sit, find that this is a tool that helps them achieve more with their clients, they're going to get better results with the clients, the clients trust them more, and they get to retain their clients. That's, that's great. I, I think that's actually a really, that was a really smart move to, you know, to, sort of your test subjects to begin with because you're exactly right like most personal trainers are really really in tune with their body uh with body awareness with nutrition and so if you're telling me something has you know 40 gar carbs grams of carbohydrates and 20 grams of protein and then i'm crashing and burning more than i normally would on those macros we would you know certainly yeah. call call that out so that's really that's really fantastic that you got buy-in from from that particular group so I know, Pete, you were telling me previously, you y'all just launched in Singapore. So right now you're in Hong Kong and Singapore. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We launched in Singapore, I think, when was it, last week? No, week before. Week before last, um, uh, we launched. And it's it's good. It's um, The biggest thing was ensuring quality in, in the products and ensuring that we were putting out something uh, that we're proud of 
Um, we, we spent a long time working to ensure we had the right partners in Singapore. Um, and then we spent you know, a good few months doing uh, test runs of the product. We've had a, a group of, again, personal trainers and um, clients who've used other nutrition providers in Singapore trial our food, give us feedback, um, and trial our logistics as well. So we wanted to be able to hit the ground running when we did launch. Because, um, I mean, ultimately, the the best form of marketing is, is the product itself. Uh, if people recognize it's superior to everything else out there in the market, they're going to become you know, outspoken advocates for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is fabulous. Obviously, if you're in Hong Kong or Singapore, it's a no-brainer. you got to try Nutrition Kitchen. But I do have listeners sort of all throughout the world, a lot in the US, UK, and throughout. And I'm assuming there must be services out there that are kind of similar. Before you guys go global, maybe you'll be worldwide someday. <laughs> but can you help my listeners who are interested in something like this look for a service that might be similar? I, th- I think it really depends on the, the dominant culture um, where you are. Like in mm-hmm. Hong Kong, uh, people don't cook as much. And I think that's largely down to kitchens being smaller. So people really want prepared food um, in a way that I think in the UK, people actually um, enjoy spending time in their kitchens. Their kitchens are larger. Um, it's, the kitchens tend to be the real hub of the home and people will cook for leisure as a way of relaxing after work. So I think you would look at what you really want out of a service. Do you want prepared meals or do you want a meal kit provider? Um, in the UK, there are a number of companies doing really good meal kits. Um, Mindful Chef, uh, they're a company based based in the UK. Uh, they do really good service. Um, they're also uh, they've got ties back to Extra as well. Um, they're, they're both like local Devon boys. So they're a company I'd look to in the UK. Um, within the UK, uh, within the US, sorry, um, there are a few different services. Freshly offer. Offer meals that are delivered um, in batches, so it's not a daily delivery service. So, I, I think you need to work out: Do you want daily deliveries? Do you want ingredients and recipes, or do you want ready-made meal, ready-to-go meals? And then I think you just got to look for, understand what your goals are, and you need to be able to check whether their macronutrients are accurate, or go via someone you trust. Mm-hmm. So again, I think personal trainers are going to be pretty good advocates for products and pretty reliable. And so just so the listeners are clear, so there is pre-prepared foods Mm. or pre-prepared meals, excuse me, and then there's kits. And so if I'm understanding it correctly, what you have is basically something uh, that is a pre-prepared meal that basically you you can just warm up. And then uh, the kit is to your point, like maybe somebody wants to have a part in creating the Mm. meal. So it's like all of the ingredients and then you put it together yourself or as a family and then bake it. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. So with with the meal kits, it's they've really taken off in the UK and they basically curate a menu for you and they deliver you precisely the right amount of food um, and the recipe card. And I think people enjoy that as a way of exposing them to more ideas and more variety in the foods they're eating. So they're not just cooking the same thing week after week um, and getting really tired of that. Yeah, that that is true. I mean, we'll, I want to touch on this in a second. You know, we're in, here in Hong Kong. We don't have as much to do 
with the shopping and the, and the food prep. Um, so it's not quite as exhausting, but yeah, golly, if you've got to go get groceries every few days and think about what your missing ingredients are and you know, that takes a few minutes to do. And so all of the preparation, um, which can be a little bit of a hassle. I would imagine most people don't super enjoy that piece of it. If that part of it is done, um, then you can go straight to the part of it that really is the community uh, family gathering piece of it where you're putting the pieces together. I love that. Thank you for some good examples of, of ideas for folks in other places. So I touched on this in our area of the world. It's very common for families to employ a live-in domestic helper uh, who assists usually with housekeeping, shopping, childcare, and cooking. And Pete, this was one of the first things I asked you when, when we were chatting over coffee uh, a couple weeks ago. I know Nutrition Kitchen is popular in Hong Kong, despite, you know, us having domestic helpers here. And you, you had a really good answer to that. Can you share why you think that is? So when, when, we, um, when we launched Nutrition Kitchen, we were very aware that most of our clients did have domestic helpers. But that didn't really seem to be helping them to actually achieve the, the results they were after in terms of you know, body composition, losing body fat, um, and actually complying to uh, a set meal schedule that would deliver a certain amount of calories and macronutrients. And I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think firstly, you know, domestic helpers uh, kind of incentivize or, or they want to provide you know, a decent serving of food uh, and perhaps too much food at times um, to, to the families that they're working with. So if the husband or, or wife heading off to work, they, they might be getting you know an extra generous helping of food when actually what they need is a, a serving that's maybe 20, 25% smaller. So I think that might is, is one aspect of it. And then the second one is I think, as with anyone, I think if you're limited to the, all the recipes that you know and you're not particularly passionate about cooking, you're going to end up repeating the same meals over and over and over and you know, people get bored and people uh, kind of lose interest in eating that way after a while so i think what we've been able to do is by basically essentially saying to people look outsource all of your meal prep to us uh, we can bring a much much more varied menu uh, to the table than you'd be able to ever do in your in your own life yeah that that is super important it's super important and it's not just about like you know, palatability and getting tired of the same old thing, but mm. you know, getting, it's been shown in study after study, getting a variety of foods is really, really important mm. for your overall health. Yeah. That, and you know, I've noticed, I think you should speak to that really quickly. Like you have cycles. Mm. Um, so you have like, a, I think it's a week cycle. And so yeah. you can sort of look out a couple weeks ahead to see what's coming. Um, so yeah, it looks like there's a ton of, of variety. Do you guys have like a certain number of cycles that you try yeah, to roll? We, or? We've got six weekly cycles before, you, before we start repeating That's meals. Awesome. So we've got six weekly cycles. So that means 90 dishes on the menu at any one time. And that's out of, uh, I mean, we've had over 150 on the menu. And, and we're constantly now, now that we've got our own facility, we're constantly able to kind of rotate and update the menu. Um, so we don't really do big menu launches anymore, but every... Every time we run through a cycle, we'll tweak, you know, three or four dishes per week. We'll modify slightly, we'll tweak, we'll you know, change the seasoning profile, change the flavor profile based on client feedback and based on our, our own experiences with the food. Oh, that's awesome. And even if, it, so you're always evolving, which is great, but even if it was just 90, that's still, that's a pretty yeah. nice rotation. I don't think too many of us have uh, 90 go-to uh, 
things that we prepare on a weekly or five or six week basis. That's pretty impressive. Um, so I think one of the things that amazes me to think about, and, and it, quite frankly, um, sca- would scare me a little bit at first is just the sheer logistics that you all must uh, have to go through, especially when you're initially setting things up. So, uh, you know, I just sort of imagine the orders coming in, prepping all the food, getting your drivers to go to the right location. And cause you all deliver pretty much throughout the whole main Island on Hong Kong and a couple of areas around. And then I'm not sure what the logistics in Singapore, are, but just talk a little bit about the logistics of what you all do. I just think it's impressive. I think this, this is something where we benefited massively by being completely ignorant on day one. <laughs> so yeah. if, if we'd been well-versed in what we were actually undertaking, we wouldn't have bothered. We'd have gone that that's far too much work. Right. Um, it's not worth it. Um, but we didn't, so we, we kind of set up the logistics network ourselves on day one. Um, and, and we found, we built out a network of drivers and we built out our own kind of logistics system that fits Hong Kong in terms of different zones, different areas, different drop-off times. Um, and that's just kind of grown out organically over the last three years, uh, to the point now where you know, all our drivers know their routes pretty precisely. They'll have regular orders. They'll have people, they'll know precisely who they're dropping to at different times. Um, and then the back end of it is, you know, initially there's a lot of data entry. Um, we've got uh, two girls in the office do a fantastic job um, with all of our customer service at the moment. Uh, and that's a really, a really big component of the business. Uh, they, they play a huge role in um ensuring that we retain clients in the long term and that we're able to uh, any time there is a an issue that we can remedy that straight away no, that's great and just we just uh made it through a major depending on where you are in the world they're called hurricanes or typhoons or mm. tropical depressions um or cyclones excuse me so this was a biggie. This is the way they called it a super typhoon. And, you know, a few days ago, you really couldn't get down some of the major, major roads in Hong Kong due to debris and trees across the road. So did you guys have to shut down for a couple of days with that? Or how, how did you navigate through that mess? Yeah, I mean, that was that was a real challenge. And my, my attitude towards public holidays and uh, days off work due to typhoons has changed massively since... <laughs> since owning a business that uh that is massively impacted by by them so uh we cancelled our we basically the typhoon lands on sunday so we were unable to go into production in the kitchen on sunday because it would just been too dangerous for our for our team of chefs to go down there um and then also we're anticipating that monday morning we assume that there'd be still be a t8 in force in actual fact, it wasn't, but most of the roads were impassable anyway. So um, effectively, so we made the call actually on Friday evening that we weren't going to bother on Sunday. And the goal would be to get our team of chefs into the kitchen by about midday Monday uh, and all start preparing the food for Tuesday. And then uh, Tuesday, pretty smooth. And so wow. we, we, it was... A, there was, it was still a pretty bad mess on Tuesday. Good yeah, on you for getting out there. That's I mean, it, it's more it's more that Hong Kong's like incredibly robust with dealing with this like type of natural disaster, and like, as soon as the typhoon had passed on Sunday, you got people out you know, cutting trees down and and ensuring that the roads are passable. So 
our kitchen's over in Apple Chow. Um, you know, our, our chef went down, um, went down on Monday morning, was sending us videos back um, of the situation. The road was completely impassable for vehicles, but by um, by four o'clock that day, it was fine. Wow. Yeah, big, big kudos to the Hong Kong transport systems for getting these roads. I mean, we're not talking about a couple of little limbs in the road. <laughs> these are huge. Sadly, these are like 100-year-old trees yep. that were completely broken in half from this huge, huge uh, typhoon that came through. So that that's amazing. If, if you really think about it, 48 hours and you guys are back in business, that's, that's really impressive. So I want to talk about this really quick. So my audience is aware, most of my audience knows that I've been on a plant-based diet for five years now. Uh, I always share it was a game changer for me and how I look, feel, and perform. But I'm also careful to not be too dogmatic about it because I understand this type of diet isn't, it, isn't for everybody very clearly different nutrition programs work for different people. You know, uh, you know, the way you break down food is kind of like a fingerprint. You know, everybody's very, very individualistic. So with that said, you know, I know nutrition kitchen doesn't have vegetarian or vegan options at the moment. And I know one of the reasons is just scalability. We already talked about the crazy logistics that you, you had to, you know, get set up initially. So think about that. And then you've got, you know, crazy Paul over here that wants his vegan meal. I can understand that would be, that'd be a little nuts. But do you think down the road you'll do vegetarian or, or vegan at some point? Yeah, this is, I mean, well aware of the kind of the move towards more of a plant-based diet and that it's becoming much more, um, much more mainstream um, and there's much greater demand for it. Personally, I don't really have much experience, much experience with um, consuming a plant-based diet or a vegetarian or vegan diet. So this wasn't an area of strength for us. So we didn't want to, we didn't want to cynically try and exploit a, an emerging segment of the market. Um, so we, we've really put this on the back burner. We've had a lot of people ask us about if we're going to do a vegetarian plan. Um, and we've always said, yes, it's, it's on the cards. Um, over the summer, we've worked on actually fleshing that out and working on recipes that we can run in sync with our regular six cycles. Mm -hmm. So it's something that we'll be launching in the near future, but the same as with expanding to Singapore, we didn't want to just rush it and get it wrong. We wanted it to be something we could be proud of, something we felt would actually serve the community who, who've who been asking for it and not just a kind of cynical, uh, you know, here's some chickpeas in a bowl with some, <laughs> some vegetables. It, you know, our food has to taste good. Um, that's kind of our, our USP is that our food is, you know, it's accurate, it's healthy and, and it's delicious as well. So we, we need to actually pull back, take our time, do the research. And um, I think when we do launch, I think people will be pleased with um, what we come out with. That's fantastic. You know, and we should mention too that, you know, there's there's sort of differences um, within the plant-based community. So you've got plant-based, which is tends to be more about performance, at least it was in my case, and then vegan which tends to be that, but also sort of the philosophical piece. So, you know, a, a full on vegan would be somebody that, you know, really does their best to make sure that they're not bringing in any plant products at all. So, you know, typically they wouldn't do leather and that sort of thing. So it's, it's just a little bit different type of plant-based or type of style, if you will. But I can see, you know, I do eat plant-based, so that would mean no dairy, but let's say, um, you know, you had a really nice salad 
for me, since I'm more about performance, I could easily take the, you know, grated cheese off of a salad, for example. So I think, I think there'll be a population of veg, the vegetarians would be well taken care of if you went that way. But even some plant-based, full plant-based or vegans would also uh, be interested in that too. And, and like I said, it's quite easy to, to make a dish transform into to full on vegan by removing the dairy. I want to talk about uh, gut health a little bit. Uh, it's being brought up more and more uh, in discussions now, which I think is great. Uh, and you've probably heard, Pete, it's uh, the gut is being called the second brain. Um, uh, and I wrote an article, it's called Five Nutrition Tips for Everybody in an effort to sort of provide tips for people no matter what sort of nutrition plan they're on or whatever their uh, personal philosophies are. And I dug into research on gut health and I noted how there are uh, more neurons in our gut than are, in, than are in our spine, which is just amazing. And how the ecosystem of bacteria in the gut is critical to overall health. And eating probiotic foods such as yogurt, sauerkraut, dark chocolate, pickles, kimchi uh, can help in balancing your overall system by, by bringing in the healthy bacteria. So is gut health something you all think about, Pete, when you put meals together? Yeah, it's certainly something we consider. Um like gut health is such an emerging field and it's something that we, we kind of try to address in the most straightforward way possible. And that just means we have lots of vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one simple thing people can do to improve gut health is consume a large amount of vegetables every day and basically feed the good bacteria in your gut and uh, allow them to proliferate and do what they do. Um, there's so much coming out um on microbiome so much research i don't think we're i mean, we're probably about five years away from really understanding uh the microbiome in a way that allows us to manipulate it in a sophisticated way right. i i think a lot of the a lot of the protocols that you know suggest lots of probiotics as a kind of panacea for for gut health are a bit misguided and kind of based on a, a lack of information um, rather than being like solidly supported by science. And it's like, as you mentioned, it's much better to try and consume probiotic foods um, that have a, a much better chance of those good bacteria strains proliferating in the gut and actually kind of bedding down for a longer period of time. I think with the danger with probiotic tablets is they spend a very small amount of time in the gut mm-hmm. um, and can be quite ineffectual. That that's actually a really good point, and it reminds me of my journey because whenever I switched to plant based, I was pretty much on an elimination diet. I also removed gluten. Um, I at that time was just having insane gut health issues. Um, if you believe in leaky gut, I could have even had leaky gut. Who knows? Um, and so I started taking probiotics at that same time. And then, you know, within a few days, literally a few days, I started feeling better. And so if you want to eliminate one variable at a time, I did a really <laughs> bad job. Yeah, I yeah. eliminated a whole bunch. Um, so dairy was gone and meat was gone and uh, was eating a lot more vegetables mm. to your point, which could have been balancing out uh, my ecosystem. I was taking probiotics, which could have had a part in it. So anyway, the point of my story is after a while, I wondered if my gut health was self-sustained enough with real foods that I was eating, could I get off of those probiotics? And I was scared. I was like, oh, I feel so good right now, but I really want to see if I'm able to sort of maintain this without the probiotics. And so 
I stopped taking them uh, a few years ago now and uh, I didn't feel any different at all. So, yeah. I mean, that's just uh, N equals one experiment, but I think that's an interesting point that you make that maybe it's, it seems like we always go back to this, right? Real foods is always the best way to yeah. go. I think it's uh, probiotics. It's not that they, you know, I think for a large number of people, they will provide a beneficial effect. However, it's not one of those things where you can just administer them to everyone as you know, this is definitely something that's good for you. Because you know, if you've got small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you add probiotics on top of that, it's it's just, it's going to be a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's one of those where I think in the past it's been something that uh, certainly trainers and healthcare professionals have probably advised to clients as a a go to supplement. And there are certain certain times when you know if you've just taken a course of antibiotics it's probably a good idea to support the repopulation That's of true. that bacteria. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, all the emerging research on the gut is causing us to kind of take a backward step and go, okay, that we, we don't know as much as we thought we did. Um, let's wait and see what what's revealed over the next few years. I think it's interesting too, like um, inflammation in the gut. And one of my favorite things, I've said this a few times, um, uh, if you want to bring down inflammation, not only is it a probiotic, but it's also um, breaking down the molecules and dark chocolate actually has anti-inflammatory properties mm. too. So I'm like, oh, you know, one, two punch with a little dark chocolate yeah. and some red wine at night. Not too shabby. <laughs> okay, we will stop there for part one. Make sure to listen into part two where Pete and I discuss why there aren't many fruits in the Nutrition Kitchen Meals. Physical fitness and sports for kids mental capacity to train harder, getting kids to eat healthy, and the evils of processed snack foods. Make sure to check it out. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. I've had Pete here for a really long time, so we're going to wrap this one up. Also, thank you very much to my friend Pete Fisher for joining the show today. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show in your podcast app. You can follow my workouts and Boost Health updates on Strava, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for My Boost Health. You can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything, along with more motivation and information. And until next time, this is Paul Sandberg for Pete Fisher saying goodbye and find, find your, your balance. balance. That's funny. In my English way, I would have just gone, find your balance.